If you got your Bible, who's got their who's got a real paper Bible with them today? Y'all are the y'all are the real deal. And um, for those of you who don't have a real paper Bible with you today, I don't know. You just got to pray about it. We'll see what the Lord says. Go to Judges chapter six. A few weeks ago, I mentioned the name Gideon in one of my messages kind of in passing. And um, as I was praying about where the Lord wanted us to go after Easter, um, this isn't a series. I don't have a name or a theme, but I feel like if I'm being kind of open with you that today and probably even the next few weeks, as well as the past few weeks are sort of connected messages, even Easter, uh, talking about who we are in Christ, um, because ultimately, I think that for too many Christians who genuinely love God and, and, and want to be, and I kind of put this in air quotes, want to be a good person, want to be a good Christian, we limit the grace of God to being able to save us. But after we're saved, that's kind of where it stops. And everything else that we have to do, everything else that we need to do, becomes more about our own ability and less about the power that is found in the grace of God. And um, so that's, that's kind of, there's no title there. There's no theme there specifically, uh, but that's kind of where we've been. And today I've preached on Gideon probably four times uh, at Lifehouse, but I've never preached what I'm preaching today. This is fresh. This is new. Um, I just feel like this is, this is where the Lord wants us to go today. And we'll see what happens next week. Who's ready for next week already? Who's going to invite somebody to come to church with you next week? You know, Barna, who uh, does a lot of church statistics, they discovered in polling and, and all kinds of stuff over years and years of research that the number one reason people don't go to church is because they've never been asked to go with somebody that they know. So there you go. Ask somebody. Ask somebody. Judges chapter 6 verses one through six, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. That's encouraging, amen? And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Now, I wanna stop right there and just say something to you. God does not punish his people, but he will allow things in our life to happen as a disciplinary action to point us back into the direction that we need to go. Just like a parent, a good parent. You know what a bad parent does? They don't discipline their child. Yeah. The Bible says in Hebrews that because we are God's children and because he loves us, he disciplines those that he loves. Which is to say if he didn't discipline us, it would actually be an act, an unloving act on his part. Because ultimately the purpose of your life is found in him. And for him to not allow things in your life to happen or to occur that don't, that don't redirect you back towards him would be very unloving of him because he is the greatest good. Amen. He is the greatest blessing. He is not a means to an end. He is the end. Amen? Amen. And so even here in Judges chapter 6, this isn't a sign of God's wrath and hatred of Israel. This is actually God's love because he knows that if he allows things to get bad enough for them, eventually they'll turn back to him. I feel like that would preach across the world today pretty well. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites because the power of Midian was so oppressive 
The Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever Israel planted their crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. And it only took seven years. How many of you know today that more times than not, we have not because we ask not? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is real, that your word is true, that your word is active. And I pray today that as I do my very best to preach your word with faithfulness and with integrity, that you would help me to be sensitive to the leading of your spirit. That God, that every word that would come out of my mouth would not be a word um, that in any way contradicts you, your will, or your purpose in this place, but rather that it would flow from the anointing that's only found in your presence. And God, that it would change lives, not because of good preaching, but God, because you're a good God. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One more time, can we give the Lord a hand clap of praise? The title of my sermon today is Know Who You Are. Know Who You Are. And, and ultimately, as I said earlier, a lot of times we misunderstand, and I would even say misrepresent the grace of God because we assume that the singular purpose of God's grace or God's salvation is so that we can go to heaven when we die. That's what a lot of people believe, and that's honestly how a lot of Christians live. They'll say things, you know, like, well, I got saved when I was such and such age, so I know I'm going to heaven with, when I die. You know, I'm just, I'm just trying to make it on earth. I'm doing the best I can. And ultimately, I get the sentiment, but it is so anti-biblical, it is it's awful. It is so, it, that person with the best of intentions, and I'm not, I'm not dogging that person. It, that person at different times of my life has even been myself. It may be you, it may be you today. And I'm not here to beat you up, but I'm here to tell you there's a better way. There's, there's such a better way. God didn't save you just so you could go to heaven when you die. God has saved you so that through you, heaven can invade earth today, right now. And if you, don't, if you don't hear anything else that I'm, I'm going to say through the rest of this message that I'm going to do my best to keep within the 45-minute time limit that Megan has put on me. <laughs> yeah, you are, yeah. You're a lot closer, though. It's intimidating. Usually you're back there where Bobby's at, and that's easier. But now you're right here. So Megan, Megan and I, I can tell when I'm preaching good, she looks at me like this with her arms crossed because I'm making fun of myself, and that's when I know I'm doing right. Anyway. So I'm going to say that again so I can get back on track. Sorry, Megan. God has not just saved you so that you can go to heaven when you die. Rather, God has saved you so that through you, heaven can invade earth today. Because God's grace is for so much more than just getting you to heaven. It is so that heaven can get to you, so that heaven can get in you. And ultimately, this is the real goal here, so that heaven can be made known through you. 
So that when you go, when you do, when you talk, when you speak, when you live life, you are creating, you are furthering in that moment the kingdom of heaven all around you. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and, and, or seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. In other words, what Jesus is saying is make heaven and the furthering of the kingdom of heaven your chief pursuit. Make that your goal. So when you go to your job and you do the things that you do at your job, your job and your purpose at your job is not to accomplish the task for that day. Your job and the purpose of your job is not to get a paycheck at the end of the week or at the end of the pay period to, to give your tithe, to provide for your family, to pay your mortgage, to pay your rent, to pay your car payment. Ultimately, the purpose of your job, and I don't care what your job is. I don't care if you're a trash collector or a doctor or play a professional sport or sing or teach or fight fires or retired even. Whatever it is that you do for a living isn't what you're living for. The ultimate purpose of your life and everything you do from being a parent to being a grandparent to being an employee to being a friend is to further the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah, okay, I got three claps there. That's great. I can go with that. <laughs> And in this passage, Israel honestly has accepted a way of life that mimics the way so many of us as Christians live today. Instead of living the victorious life that Jesus died on the cross to purchase for us, not just so that we could be forgiven of our sin and go to heaven, but so that we could live a more than conquering type of life. We've traded that in for, for defeat. And we've just assumed and we've, we've come to the place where we're like, well, this is just how it is. Can I just tell you something? That anybody who ever went to Jesus in any of the four Gospels and asked him for something, he always did it. And you say, well, Pastor Drew, what if I pray for such and such and it doesn't happen? Honestly, I get that. I feel that. But I would just encourage you to continue to pray again. I would encourage you to continue to go to God again. Because he, 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 it's, pretty, it's pretty clear that, that God did not intend for you to live a defeated lifestyle. God did not intend for you to live a life like the, the people of Israel did, hiding in caves instead of standing up for what was right. Can I get a witness in the house today? They were hiding in caves. And there's a lot of blood-bought believers today that, that literally have the power of heaven living inside of them. If they would just access it and just use it and just, just keep that flow of communication open between them and the Father, they would realize that they have so much more in them than they ever thought they had. God didn't intend you to live in defeat. He didn't intend for you to live a life of hiding instead of facing the enemy head on. Instead of going out in faith and, and believing God that, that they had victory, they were running for their lives. And the reason why is because they forgot who God was, and thusly they forgot who they were, and thusly they began living a defeated way of life. And it starts by us forgetting who God is. And you see, if we don't know who he is, we can't know who we are. And if we don't know he, who he is and we don't know who we really are, then we can't live the type of life that he's promised us. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you can have get by, okay, make it through, and go to heaven one day when you die kind of life. Is that what it says? Anybody know what it says? He says, I have come that you may have life and life to the full or life abundantly, which means life. And that word in Greek is zoe life. It's not bios life. You know, bios life just means to be alive, 
just means that, that you are a living organism. But to have Zoe life means that you are alive, that you are feeling it, that you are ready to go, that you are living in victory. You are living not in just enough, but you are living in overflow. And Jesus didn't, he also said this. Now, a lot of times we, we, we want to keep the good and, and, and throw out the bad, or we do the opposite. We keep the bad and we throw out the good. And we see, we have to hold the two ideologies in tension with one another. Because he also said in John 16, in this world, you will have trouble. He said, you're going to face hardships. And it's not that God has come to make your life easy. It's not that Jesus said, when I've come, that you may have life and life abundantly, that that means it's everything that you ever need and every, everything that you ever want is always going to go your way. And you're never going to have a dead battery. You're never going to have a flat tire. You're never going to have a bad haircut. You're never going to eat a bad dessert. You're never going to get food poisoning. Can I get a witness on that one? Oh, man, I feel that deep. He doesn't say that. He says, in this life, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And then Paul tells us in, in Romans 8 that we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. That's what it means. We hold intention. It doesn't mean that my life is easy, but it means that my life is full of life. And it means that my life, when I am committed to Christ, always, say always, always has purpose greater than myself. And ultimately, that's what life should be about, purpose. But... For Israel here in Judges 6, they forgot who God was. They had, they had turned to other gods. They had turned to Baals and Asherah poles, and they would worship them, believing for a great harvest. In other words, they were looking to things that God made instead of God himself for their provision, for their purpose, and for their sustenance. And man, if that doesn't parallel the way so many of us live today, looking to our retirement accounts, which I mean, I just hear about those. I've never, I don't know what that is, but I've heard about, I hear they're cool. We look to our savings account. We look to our jobs. We look to bosses and employers. We look to the government. We look to all these different things that are made by man to be our provider, to be our source, to be our sustenance. And ultimately God is saying, those things, I don't care how good you think they are, they will always in some way, in some capacity, they will let you down. They will fail you because they're man-made. They're not God-made. And they forgot who God was. They forgot who they were. And then they lived a defeated, a powerless, and ultimately a godless life. You guys ready to dive into this today? Yeah. So here's three observations today that I've never preached before specifically from the story of Gideon. And, and if you don't, raise, raise your hand if you are very familiar with the story of Gideon. Let me see. Raise it real high. Okay, that's fantastic. I am so proud that some of you are going to hear, yes! I, I would drink a drink of water right now, but that scares me, so I'm going to hold off until I really need it. You, feel, you know what I'm saying? You was here last week, you know what I'm saying. Number one, everybody say number one. God wants you to change the world. Write it down. I mean, and like you might be thinking, Pastor Drew, that sounds awfully cheesy. Well, just get ready. The cheese is only beginning, okay? That sounds real youth pastor, youth groupy. Well, some of us, we need to go back to the basics and the fundamentals of our faith to know who we really are, to know what our true calling and purpose on this life in this world is. And ultimately, you exist not by accident, but on purpose. God puts you on this planet, on planet Earth, and, and at whatever age you are, in the year 2022, when all hell's breaking loose and everything's falling apart and everybody's living in panic and fear because he knows you have something that this world needs. I, I gotta just tell you, 
I am sick and tired of reading social media garbage about, oh, I'm, I'm so worried about my kids growing up in this world. Listen, I thank God that he gave me three beautiful babies that I am raising to be world changers in my house. I'm not worried about what this world's going to do to my kids. I'm excited because I know what my kids are going to do to this world. Anyway, God wants you, he wants to use you to change the world around you. And that sounds great. That sounds good. It might sound a little corny, but ultimately I think most of us can get behind it because we, everybody, wants to have a reason. Everybody wants to have a purpose. Everybody wants to feel like they matter. And when you hear the phrase, and it's a true phrase, that God wants to use you to change the world, it probably makes you feel good, and I hope it does. But ultimately, there's a problem here. God does want to use you to change the world. But for so many of us, he can't do that because we, instead of being world changers, have been changed by the world. And instead of looking like the people of God that have been called out of hiding to live a life of victory, not defeat, to live a life that's overcoming, not overcame, we're living like the world. We're living in fear. We're living in panic. We look like the world. We talk like the world. And therefore, because we are part of the world, we can't be an agent of change to the world. That's what was happening with Israel right here in Judges chapter 6. They were hiding. They were running. And I know that I want to I illustrate it with this. And this is something I've done before. So if you've heard me say it, just act surprised. Do me the favor. Maybe you've heard somebody else say it. And it's just a great illustration. I actually talked to Chris and I said, is there another way I can illustrate this? And she's like, no, that's it. That's how you, you got to do it that way. <laughs> but here's the thing. So many of us, and I'm talking to Christians. I'm not talking to people who aren't Christians today. I'm talking to people who say, I follow Jesus. We've been called to function like thermostats. But instead, so many of us are living like thermometers. You see, God has called you to create the atmosphere, to dictate the atmosphere, to dictate the culture, to create culture. But instead, so many of us are living more like thermometers where all we do is reflect it. And you see, we got one right over here, and thank God it's working today. You got me, Melanie? You follow? All right, that's what I'm talking about, girl. Now... It's 68 degrees in here according to this. How many is happy about that? Yes. How many wishes it was warmer? Put your hand down. I love you. You look really pretty today. All right. I'm sorry. This is where it's going to stay for now, okay? I love you. But I got to keep these glasses off my face, and if I, it goes any hotter, they'll start sliding. You see, there's, there's actually no power in this thermostat. I, I, I say there's no power. There's two AA batteries in it that keep the screen on. But when I change this thermostat, which I'm not going to do unless I make it cooler, who'd be okay with that? Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. My wife would hurt me later. <laughs> there's something in here that it, it, and there's a wire and it's connected to something way back there outside. And I don't know how much bigger the thing that it's connected to outside is, but it's a lot bigger. <laughs> Chad, do you know what ton unit that is outside? Let's go five. Let's, bigger's better, baby. It's a five-ton unit. Just to make it six. No, we got to go at least seven, remember? It's like the baptism numbers. And you see, when I set the temperature to 68 or 67 or, praise God, even 64, I didn't change it. Don't worry. It has the ability to communicate with a much larger, much greater, much more powerful force. And it and then that force is what brings the change to the atmosphere of the room. 
Now you see, I could pull that thing off the wall and it would actually still light up because it has batteries in it, because there's some amount of life in it, right? You follow what I'm saying here? There, there, there's, there's a small amount of life found in that when I, if I pull it off the wall. And I'm not going to pull it off the wall because I would break it because it's a sensitive loading unit, okay? It is. And I could take it and I could put it on my table right here and I could change the temperature all day long and it wouldn't do anything because it is not connected to the source that creates change. How many of you understand there are men and women of God who love Jesus, they're going to heaven when they die, but heaven surely isn't living in and through them today because they are disconnected from the source that creates change. You see, God didn't create you to reflect the atmosphere. He created you to create and to dictate the atmosphere. In other words, God didn't create you to be changed by what you can't change. God created you to be the one who creates change. Most of us, well, I shouldn't say most of us. Some of us, many Christians, we're living like East Tennessee weather. We can't make up our mind. We don't know what's going on. <laughs> How many feel like you got a, a, a flock of feathers living in your nasal cavity today with me? Can I get a win? Lord, heal us in Jesus' name. Prednisone, Sudafed, Allegra, Zyrtec, do your job. In verse 11, the Bible says, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak at Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abazarite, where his son Gideon, Gideon was threshing or separating. That, that word threshing means to separate wheat from chaff, separating wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Now, I just want to point something to you, point, point something out to you right now. Wine presses are for pressing wine. Okay? And, 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 and threshing floors are for threshing wheat. So I'm going to read it again. The angel of the Lord, which just by the way, that's what's called in the theological world a theophany. We actually believe that this is the pre-incarnate Jesus, right? This isn't an angel. This is the way in Old Testament writings, the best way they could explain it. This is God in flesh somehow appearing to Gideon before the actual incarnation of Jesus in John 1. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak that belonged at Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abzerite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat, not at a threshing floor, but in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. In other words, Gideon had allowed fear to drive him into hiding because a wine press, well, first of all, let me tell you, a threshing floor is out in the open. It's where you can be seen. And the reason why it's out in the open is because you use the help of the wind to separate the wheat from the chaff. They would th literally, they would just kind of throw in the air and, and, and the chaff would blow away and the kernels of wheat would fall back down. They, and, and so, but Gideon is doing something completely different and completely odd, to be honest with you. He is in a pit where people would literally press wine either with their feet or with logs. They would use them and they would press the wine so, or they would press the grapes so that they could make wine from it. So Gideon, in order to stay out of sight of the Midianites to preserve his food, uh, he is making his life much harder. Because here's the thing. Fear makes life hard. And when we live in fear, we're making life, life hard on ourselves. And, and I want to submit this thought to you today. And this is coming from a person, to be completely honest with you, who struggles with fear, who, who deals with anxiety, who, who ha I have to face worry on a pretty regular basis where, I, where thoughts will come into my mind and I have to tell myself, and sometimes my wife tells myself, <laughs> that's not from God. And, and I think that if we could truly understand the power of God 
and the capacity of God's love for each and every one of us, we would never be afraid of anything. They say, oh, gas is $10 a gallon now. You would say, you know what? God's my provider. I'm not worried about that. We, we get on Facebook. Oh, there's food shortages coming. Listen, let me tell you something. I'm not saying that we should lack wisdom in the way we prepare. But I'm telling you, when you live in fear of what you need, you are living in a place where you're saying, God, you're not enough. God, you're not able. God, you don't love me. God, you're not able. You're not strong. God, you can't. And, and I'm here today to tell you that, that if you could just, if we, if, if each of us could grasp the height, the depth, the width, the breadth, come on, somebody, the, of the love of God, fear, as the song says, fear can go back to hell where it came from. Fear makes life hard. God hasn't called you to hide either. That's what Gideon was doing. He was hiding. He was trying to stay away from the sight of the Midianites. But ultimately, God hasn't called you to hide. God hasn't called you to blend in. God hasn't called you to be quiet and reserved. God has called you to stand out. He created you for a purpose. He created you on purpose because he has purpose for you. And that purpose for you can't be accomplished if you're doing your best to blend in, stay quiet, and hide. I'm preaching a lot better than you're shouting. This is what Jesus said about it in Matthew 5, 16. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let me tell you right now, you are not saved because of your good works, but you are saved for doing good works. And so Jesus is saying that the fruit of your salvation, let it shine out for the world to see so that they will see the good things you do because of the empowerment of God in you and through you because you are furthering the kingdom of heaven on earth as it is in heaven. And they will see that and it will be a testimony to them. And they will tell you, they'll look at you and they'll say, how are you so blessed? How are you so full of life? How do you have such a positive attitude? Is it because you just, you know, you're just a positive person? No, I'm not. It's not because I'm a positive person. It's because I'm connected to the one who has all the power. And I'm not living in worry. I'm not living in fear. I'm not living in anxiety. I'm not living in lack. I'm living in abundance. It doesn't mean that I don't have problems. It just means that problems don't have me. It doesn't mean that I don't go through things. It just means that they don't control my life. It doesn't mean that some days are, are harder than other days. It just means that I'm not defined by my bad days or my good days. I'm defined by my father. And God calls Gideon out of hiding. He says in verse 12, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, I love this. This is so funny to me. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. <laughs> yeah, you, the guy, yeah, come out. I can't see your, I can see the top of your head. Yeah, in the wine press, hiding. Yes, God is with you, mighty warrior. <laughs> and that word worry, warrior, it's a hard one to say. War, warrior, warrior, sounds a lot like worry, but it ain't. The Hebrew word is hayil, and it means a few things. And all of these things are not what Gideon is. I'm just going to tell you that on the front end, okay? But God doesn't call it like it is. He calls it like it will be when he has his way with it. It means to be physically strong. It means to be wealthy. It means to be talented, influential, and of noble character. And, and Gideon knows what that word means when the angel of the Lord speaks it to him. It wouldn't have been warrior in Hebrew. It would have been Hayil. And, and Gideon thinks to himself, who, what, who is this fool? I'm, I'm not any of those things. I don't have any money. 
I'm not, I, my, my noble character is not that noble. I'm hiding. I'm not physically strong. I'm not wealthy. The Midianites have destroyed our family. They've destroyed our land. I don't have anything to offer. And so he says in verse 13, he says, pardon me, Lord. And can I just tell you that there is a ton of implied sarcasm right here. <laughs> Gideon's like, excuse, excuse me? Are you talking to me? Are you talking to the guy hiding in the wine press, making his life so much harder because he's trying to thresh wheat in a pit? Excuse me? Pardon me, Lord? Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? In other words, this is what Gideon is doing. First of all, he's being sarcastic. And I don't really blame him, to be honest with you. He's just being real. He's like, you ain't talking to me. Like, I don't, I don't know who you're talking to, but it's not me. And he says, God, if you're, if you're really with me, then why has all this happened? Why has Midian invaded us for seven years? Why, are, why is my family struggling to provide? Why, why do we not have the resources we need? Why are we living in defeat and denial and heartache? God, why don't you do something about it? And this is the answer God gives to him. God basically looks back at Gideon and he says, why don't you do something about it? And that's the thing. We can complain about culture. We can criticize on social media. We can, we can throw a fit. But ultimately, at the end of the day, we might be praying, God, why don't you change this? Why don't you do that? And every time you pray that prayer, God is staring you right back in the face. And he's saying, why don't you do something about it? You blood-bought believer saved by grace in the name of Jesus, more than overcomer, more than conqueror, more than victorious, life abundantly. Why don't you do something about it? And the reason why we don't do something about it is because we don't think we can. Because we don't know who we are. Because we don't really know who he is. Is this, is this, is this helping you? Is it hurting your feelings? Okay, give me a little bit longer. And then he goes on in the rest of the verse. He says, you know, he said, if the Lord's with us, why has all this happened to us? And then Gideon goes on and he says, where are all the wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. And I feel that because today, you know, I've been praying a lot over the last, I want to say six months. God, I want to see you do the miraculous in people's lives. I want to see you change lives in a way like I've never seen them. God, I want to see you heal bodies. Not just, not just like, oh, I had a backache and it feels, I'm ready to see limbs grow back, y'all. I'm ready, to, I'm, ready to, I'm ready to see healings. I'm ready to see miracles. And I believe that he can't, and I believe in Jesus' name, it's happening and it's going to happen and it's going to be a big deal. And, 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 but, you know, I, I read about different revivals of the past. I read about Brownsville. I read about Azusa Street. I read about the Welsh revival in the 1800s. I read about... Day of Pentecost in the book of Acts. I read about the stories where Jesus healed people. And where we're in Acts, I was actually reading this yesterday, where there was such an anointing on the life of Peter that, that people would put out, the, the sick people would lay in the street hoping that as Peter walked by, his shadow would cast upon them and they would be healed just simply because they sat in the shadow of Peter because of the anointing of the Holy Spirit was so great upon his life. And, and if he did it then, I don't believe for one second anybody who says, oh, it, that was just for them. No, that is for us today. That's not, that, that is for us today. But here's the reason why we don't see it today, at least in North America. It's because God won't do 
what only he can do until we will do what only we can do. And here is a hard truth. Repentance always precedes revival. And many of us in this room, many of us watching online, many believers all around the world today, we look too much like this world to be agents of change in this world. We've succumbed to a life of blending in instead of standing out. Now, I hope you feel good, but I hope you understand that if you think, if in your mind right now you're thinking, I hope so-and-so hears this. Let me just, with all the love in my heart, ask you, are you hearing this? Just as I have had to ask myself all week, Drew, are you hearing this? Before I ever preach it to you, it's been preached to me four or five times, okay? For Israel and for us today, repentance had to precede, we use the word revival, but it had to precede the move of God for what God really wanted to do. So the first point is God wants to use you to change the world. The second thing, the second observation, God wants to use you to be a history maker. God wants you to live a life that's worth telling stories about. And I want you to receive that. I want you to hear that. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you feel like you have to offer right now. Today's a new day, okay? And you receive this for yourself today. God wants you to live a life that's worth telling stories about. Worth telling stories about. He wants you to be somebody who makes history. This is, this is what uh, verse 14 says. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Which once again is hilarious because Gideon, as he's hearing these words, he's thinking, the strength that I have? He, and this is, it's very specific what God says to Gideon. He doesn't say to Gideon, the strength that I'm going to give you, which would seemingly make more sense, but he says, go in the strength that you have, which just confirms the fact that for us today, we have been given so much more than we ever take advantage of by the grace of God and the blood of Jesus. We, we, we pray things like, you know, Holy Spirit, that you would fall in this room. But here's the thing. The Holy Spirit already lives in your heart. We don't need the Holy Spirit to fall in this room. I need the Holy Spirit to become alive inside of me. To flow through me and for you to, for to flow through you. And Gideon does eventually. Everybody say eventually. Eventually Gideon does all this. Go read chapter 6 of Judges. Go read chapter 7. It's probably one of the most famous Bible stories. I'm sure your kids in kids' house have heard it before. I know you've heard it preached on before. You've heard stories about it. But let me just give you the, let me tell you the end, okay? Let me tell you how this ends. God eventually convinces Gideon through a bunch of tests that, you know, if you've ever heard of uh, putting a fleece out, anybody ever heard that terminology and wondered, I wonder where that came from? It's because Gideon literally took a wool fleece and he said, all right, God, if it's dewy in the morning, but the grass is dry, I'll know it's you. I mean, like, man, what kind of weird test is that? And God does it. And then the next day he's like, okay, God, if this is dry, 
I don't remember what I said first. And it's, it's almost like a comic stand-up bit. It's so ridiculous how Gideon does it. But eventually Gideon becomes convinced that, okay, I guess God really has called me. And then he, he, he gathers all the troops together. And Gideon has 32,000 men to go fight the Midianites, which makes him feel pretty good. He's like, okay, I think we can do this. All right, cool, 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 cool. And then God says, no, nah, you got too many people. And Gideon, I just, you know, it's not really in the Bible, but this is my sermon. I'll preach it how I want to. Gideon's like, no, nah, we good, God. We got it. We got this. We're good. We're good. I don't think there's a such thing as too many people in your army. That's kind of silly. I don't know where you've been all this time, God, but, you know, the bigger the army, the better the outcome. You know what I'm saying? And God says, no, nah, man. No, no, no. You got too many people. Go, go tell everybody, if you're scared, go home. And Gideon, Gideon I'm, I, I know what he said, it's not in the Bible, but he's like, no, I'm good, actually. <laughs> I don't care if they're scared. They'll be all right. <laughs> and, and he says, all right, fine, 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 whatever. And Gideon says, okay, if you're afraid, I mean, like, you know, I mean, like, if you're really afraid, not like just a little worried, but like, if you're like, mm, I'm, I'm really scared, you can go on back home. And Gideon's, you know, probably thinking, oh, they're going to be brave, man. They're going to be cool. And 22,000 people leave. <laughs> and you got to know that Gideon was the mention of, like, right then. It's like, God, that was a bad, I told you that was a bad idea. <laughs> All right, we got 10,000. That's not as many as 32,000, but we got 10,000. That's still a pretty good sized army. And God's like, mm. <sighs> hey, Gideon. And you got to think Gideon's like, mm, I don't hear anything. God says, Gideon, you still got too many. And Gideon says, no, nah, bro, you're wrong. <laughs> that is not accurate. 10,000, it's a good, it's an even number. It feel good about it, you know. It's, it's not 9,000, it's not 11,000, it's, you know, 10,000. Yeah, we got this. And God says, "Nah, you still got too many. Hey, go have them drink some water over here at this lake. And if they lap it up like a dog, for whatever reason, they can stay. If they cup it in their hands, they have to leave. And Gideon's, this, this, this is how it went down. It's not in the Bible, but this is how it went down. Gideon, Gideon walks over to the lake and he says, hey guys, hey, look at all this fresh, amazing water over here. How about we drink this water? And he begins to lap it like a dog and he looks up and he's like, doesn't, doesn't everybody else want to drink today? Yeah. I don't move that speaker. I'm sorry about that, Jeff. And, and Gideon's like, yeah, let's just drink this water. And I'm not going to pretend to lap it like a dog because I have some, some integrity. No, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. No, no, I'm not, I'm not doing it. And you know, you know, Gideon was like, yeah, guys, this is good water. Oh, don't use your hands. That's so silly. Only silly people drink with, with their hand, hands cup. No, we're, we're, we're really, we're really thirsty and, and, and like I said, it's not in the Bible, but I know that's how it happened. <laughs> I haven't heard from God, but I just believe it in my soul. <laughs> and even as Gideon exemplified to them how they should drink from the water, only 300 people followed his lead. <laughs> Once again, that's not exactly how it says in Judges 7. So you go read it for yourself. And you tell me if it doesn't sound like what I just said, probably is how it went down. So only 300, and, 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 and then Gideon, you know, he went from 32,000 people to 300 people. 
And then God talks to him. And you got to know at that moment, Gideon's like, "Uh uh-uh, no, sir. We ain't playing this game. We done. We through. 300. That's not, we're all going to die, God, okay? And God says, no, 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 you got enough. That's, That's how many you need. And listen, you know Gideon the whole time is like, you crazy. You crazy, God. I'm telling you what, though, if you don't feel like God's asking you to do some crazy things in your life, you're not living a life of faith. You're walking by sight, not by faith. You're living by what you can see instead of who has seen you. And so he takes his 300 men, and it's a really cool story. I mean, if you like war and blood and guts, which I love it. He takes his 300 men, and God says, all right, give everybody a trumpet, or in this case, we'll call it a saxophone. Where's Irby at? It's my man. Take your, take, your, take your horns. Maybe they were shofars. That'd be pretty cool. And take some clay, clay pots, some jars, and some torches. And I want you to cover the, the, the torches with the jars. In the middle of the night, I want you to go surround the camp of Midian. And, you know, Gideon's like, okay, but uh, where's my sword? Where's our archers? And God says, nah, you don't need, you don't need that. You don't need that. I, no, no, no. We got our own weapon. We got, we got trumpets. We got, we got flower pots. And we got flashlights. Adam back there reading that right now. He's like, I'm, proof to, I'm, I'm checking this sermon out. I don't believe any of this. <laughs> I don't believe it. This is not in the Bible. And some of it's not. But, you know. And Gideon said, okay, God. You got me. Those 300 men were like, man, why didn't we drink the water from our cupped hands? Gosh, now we're all going to die. Ask us if we're scared again, Okay. I wasn't, but now I am because you crazy. <laughs> and so they surround the Midianites in the middle of the night. There's some other stuff in there. Go read it for yourself. It's really interesting. And Gideon says, all right, at my command, we're going we're gonna to blow the trumpets. We're going to break the jars, and we're going to hold our torches in the air. And 300 people all surround the, the camp of the Midianites and and. And at his command, they, they blow their horns, they break the jars, which is, you know, it's a big racket, and they hold their torches in the air, and they scream, and they blow their horns some more. And the Midianites, and this, is, this, is, this is messed up, y'all. The Midianites kill each other because they're so worried. Because that's what fear does, right? Fear will make us self-destruct. Fear will make us attack one another. That's another sermon for another day, but it's a good one. And so, so literally in that moment, in that night, without a sword, without a bow and arrow, without an AR-15, can I get a witness in the house today? <laughs> without any actual weapons, just horns, flashlights, and, and flower pots, literally. I mean, they were ancient flashlights, but you get the picture. By being obedient to God, by doing what he said, even though his plan did not make any sense in their natural eyes, God gives them the victory. And that's the story of Gideon. But here's the part that, that, that plays into God wants you to be a history maker. Because Gideon's destiny to be this commanding officer in this incredible victory over this enemy that for seven years had done everything to destroy the Israelites, almost said the Idiots. that's not right. <laughs> the Israelites 
was almost derailed because Gideon was so focused on his own lackluster history. And so you can't be a history maker for God if you allow your life to be dictated by a history of your own that you can't change. And so this is what he said in verse 15. He said, pardon me, Lord. Again, sarcasm, super sarcastic. Gideon had an attitude, y'all. You'd almost think he was a teenage girl, but he wasn't. I was a youth pastor for 10 years. I can say it. I can get away with it. I'm sorry to all any teenage girls now. So I love you. I see you back there. <laughs> or at least in my home, a nine-year-old girl is, is sufficient. Or actually an almost three-year-old girl. Anyway, they all act like their mama. Anyway. Gideon's got the tood, y'all. He needs an attitude adjustment. And he says, he says, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. Manasseh was one of the 12 tribes of Israel. He says, my, and, and Manasseh wasn't necessarily a great tribe anyway. And then the clan, you know, I'm part of the, the, my, my tribe inside the tribe. We're the weakest of Manasseh. And then even in my family, I'm the least, which is to imply I'm the youngest. So I have no real rights to inheritance. I, I'm not, I'm, I'm younger. I don't have, I'm not strong. You remember earlier when I said that God told him, go in the strength you have, Gideon, you mighty warrior. Basically what Gideon is, implying here in verse 15 is all the things you said about me up there I am all the opposite of those things I'm not wealthy I'm not noble I'm not strong I'm not talented I'm a nobody in fact how can I do anything for you God I'm a nobody and I come from nobodies and I'm the most nobody of the nobodies I mean, that's literally what Gideon is saying and I just want to tell you today that your earthly family history may not be the greatest but you have the DNA of your heavenly father flowing your, through your veins. And you're a child of the most high. Who you were or where you come from or what you've done. Well, I don't care if it happened this morning on the way to church when the kids were fussing and you were just ready to get out the door. It is irrelevant once it is covered by the blood of Jesus. All of those things are irrelevant. Paul says it like this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Come on, somebody celebrate that this morning. Anybody ever go to a new doctor and you have to fill out one of those reports about family history? Can I just tell you, that is the most depressing thing in, in the world for me. I'm like, I don't want to do this. I don't, can't, yeah, cancer. Heart, heart, yeah, heart. Diabetes, yeah, okay. In other words, I fill that thing out and I think, I'm, I'm going to die before I leave here today. <laughs> I said it, Tara. I said it. I said what I said. But I'm telling you right now, because of the work of the cross, because of the power of God that lives in you and that lives through you, whether there was sickness or, the, or disease, God says that by the stripes that Jesus bore upon his back that you were healed. Amen. Where there was addiction, God says you're free. You may not feel free, but you can walk in freedom. Start believing those things that are not as though they were. And you start watching as you live a life of faith, not a life, not a life of sight. You will start to see God move in ways as you've never seen him move before. Where there was depression, God says he's given you the gifts of joy unspeakable and peace that passes understanding. I'm telling you today that in your spiritual DNA, there is victory, there is fulfillment, there is restoration, there is abundance, and there is favor. And this isn't prosperity gospel preaching, this is gospel preaching, okay? 
We, we, we tend to want to distort it one way or the other, right? But somewhere, honest to goodness, if we'll just read the Bible and let the Bible read itself to us and, and let it read us and let the Bible preach itself, we'll find out there's a whole lot more good in there than there is bad. We'll find out that we have a whole lot more in us than we think we do. We will find out that we are far more blessed than we know we are because what we tend to do is we like to judge our blessings based off of what we can see and feel instead of what we know to be truth. And at some point in our life, if you want to really be a man or woman of God, you have to accept that what God says is true even if you don't see it and even if you don't feel it and even if you don't realize it right in front of your face. And that is what living a life of faith looks like. It looks like a person who says, I don't care what I see. I care who I know. I don't care how the environment feels, but I care about the one that I am connected to that has the power to change the environment, to set the atmosphere. That, that's why I say, you know, what about, you know, I've prayed for this and this didn't happen. Can I just tell you, start believing and claiming it as it is. Don't pray the problem, pray the promise, okay? Don't, don't pray about the, the, how bad it is. Pray about how good God's going to make it. Start relying on the promise of God and stop giving the devil credit for the problems in your life. When the devil tries to convince you otherwise... Tries to tell you, oh, your dad was this, your mom was this. Oh, you've, got, you've done this in your past. Oh, you said this, you did that, you've been there. You just pull out your spiritual birth certificate and you say, ah, it's not me anymore. I've been made new. John says it like this, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You can't change history. You can't make history if you are consistently and constantly captured by a history that you can't change. But you've been made new again. All things are made new. And it can be today. You, you, you might have been living for Christ, but you've been living in defeat though. Today, today, all things are made new again. You don't have to accept the way it was as the way it will be. Today can be a new day. You may or may not see an immediate change externally, but I can guarantee you that if you will make up your mind right now that I'm going to live by who I know, not what I see. I'm going to live by the truth, not by the facts. That's what we like to do a lot of times, right? Oh, I'm just going by the facts. No, no, no. I don't live by facts. I live by faith. I live by truth. You may not see an immediate change externally, but I guarantee you people will see a change in you soon. And then they will, like Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, they will see your good works and they will give glory to your Father in heaven. You know how, you know how that happens? You know how they give glory to your Father in heaven? It's because they start calling him Father as well. Because of the testimony, not from the, necessarily the proclamation of your mouth, but the testimony of a changed life that they see. God wants you to be a world changer. God wants you to be a history maker. And number three, God wants you to be his mouthpiece. God wants to use you as his mouthpiece to this world. But you can't hear his voice and repeat what he has to say if you don't know him. If you're unfamiliar with his voice. In verse 16 and 17, Judges goes on and says, The Lord answered to Gideon, I will be with you. This is after Gideon says, How am I? I'm the weakest. I'm a nobody. I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm the nobody of nobodies, God. And the Lord answered, I will be with you. 
and I will strike down the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Give me a sign that it's really you talking to me. At this moment, Gideon has received all the guarantees that he needs to know that God is going to be with him, that God is going to help him. But Gideon does not know the voice of God well enough that it's really God sitting there in front of him talking to him. So he needs proof. That's where we get the fleeces from. That's where, you know, can I just tell you that it, I don't think there's anything wrong with that if you feel like you need to do that, like where you say, okay, God, if this is really you, give me some sort of sign. I'm not saying you're a bad person for that, but I am saying that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth and the spirit of peace. And he will never lead you or guide you to a place where you don't know that it's true and where you don't have perfect peace. I'm not saying he won't lead you and guide you to a place of difficulty because he sure as heck will. He will lead you out into the wilderness. He will let the devil tempt you, not to destroy you, but to strengthen you. A lot of times we think that, oh, I'm being attacked. Oh, God's mad at me. No, God trusts you. That's why you're going through something because God knows where it's going to take you. God knows what work it's going to do in you. And God knows what he's called to do through you to change the world, to be a history maker and to be a mouthpiece, to be an oracle for God. You're going to have to go through some stuff so that you can grow to the level that you need to grow to so that you can be used to the full potential that God has for you. God, is this really you? And let me say it like this. So in 90% of my situations in life, whether I'm going to a restaurant or buying a new pair of kicks. Can I get a witness, somebody? <laughs> My wife can just about pick out what I want. Almost, and some of y'all aren't like that, and that's cool, that's fine. You're, you don't have a bad marriage, you just don't have a cool marriage like ours. <laughs> and I can almost do the same thing for her too. But you know why that is? It's because we know each other. It's because we've been married how many years? It's not because I don't know when we got married. It's because I can't do math, y'all. <laughs> December 19th, 2008. You do the math. Back up off me. Don't judge me. Who do you think you are? We knew each other before that. We were friends. We hung out a lot. And the reason why is because we, we talk every day. We spend quality time together. She's my best friend. I love all of you, but I don't, I'd rather hang out with her than any of you. Yeah. We, we're intimate with one another. And I don't just mean like that. I mean like we share thoughts together. We have deep conversations together. And I know her. And she knows me. So that's why there's a lot of times you can ask me a question about her and I can answer it for her because I know what she would want. And you can ask her something about me and a lot of times she can answer it for me because she knows me well enough to know what I would want. Can I tell you that that, that, is, that is what God wants for you and him? That you would be able to speak for him not because you're arrogant, but because you're intimate with him. Because you know his voice. And so many of us struggle to hear and to know the voice of God simply because we just don't know him. We know about him. We know that Jesus died so I could be forgiven and so one day I could go to heaven instead of hell. And so many, I mean, honest to goodness, I, I'm not, you know, Benjamin Franklin on Facebook said 90% of statistics are made up on the spot, right? You know? 
I don't know how many believers live that way, but I would guarantee you it's got to be well more than three quarters of believers, at least in the United States, that live almost like a Christian atheist who believe that Jesus died so I could go to heaven, but then that's where, that's where it stops. Everything else is up to me. I got to figure it out for myself. I got to, I got to do it on my own. And that's not true. That's not true at all. God wants to speak to you and God wants to speak through you. We know about him, but do you know him? And do you know his word? Do you know what he says in his word? Do you know what it says to you about you? So many of us don't know our real identity in Christ because we don't spend time in his word. We say things like, oh, it's, it's, I just can't understand it. Can I tell you something? I don't understand how I can eat a, a, a New York strip steak. Can I get a witness in the house today? And it turned into my body and build muscles right there. I don't, right there, get, you see it, Bobby? Can, is, it, is it visible? Let me, let, me, let me pull the fat down. Okay. <laughs> Got to make it pop a little bit. I should, do some, I should have done some push-ups before coming up here and get myself veiny. Anyway, I don't understand how that works. I don't how, understand how I eat food and it turns into vitamins and nutrients and protein and carbohydrates in my body and helps me not die. I don't get that. I don't understand everything in this book, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to eat it. That doesn't mean I'm not going to read it. That doesn't mean that I'm going to ignore it and say, well, I don't understand it, so I'm just not. No, I'm going to digest it anyway because I know that in the spirit, God can do things in me that I don't always understand. And so we live powerless, defeated lives because his word isn't hidden in our heart. We live weak Christian lives, defeated, not overcoming, not victorious, not abundant lives because we have believed the lie of the enemy that says, well, I don't get it, I don't understand it, or it's the Old Testament, it's not applicable to me. Guys, tell you, that's, that is straight from hell. And at some point, at some point, you're just going to have to come to this conclusion that whether I understand it or not, whether it makes sense to me or not, if it's in God's word, number one, it's true. Number two, it's for me. And number three, it's going to transform me. I can't explain it all. I, I, I mean, I've got a degree. I, I've, I've studied the Bible most of, well, since I was 15 years old. I've read it through numerous times. And can I tell you, there is still plenty of stuff I don't understand. And there's some things that some people claim to understand that I'm like, no, nah, you don't. You're crazy. You don't get that. You can't explain. You can't explain the Trinity to me. Don't do the water, egg, or the, the water, the ice, and this thing. That's not the Trinity. That's, you're talking about God who created the universe. You can't explain that with a boiling pot of water. I don't get it, but I trust it. I don't always understand it, but I believe it. If God said I can be made whole in Jesus' name, I'm going to believe that over the fact that right now I may not feel like I've been healed. If God said that I'm going to be blessed to be a blessing and I look at my bank account and I think, I don't know about that. I'm going to believe that God is going to bless me to be a blessing even if, I, even if the facts deny it in the moment. Because who I am is not who he's making me to be. He, who he is making me to be isn't based off my history. It's not based off my family lineage. It's not based off my past mistakes. It's based off the fact that I am familiar with his voice. I'm intimate with him and I know him. He is using me to change the world. He's using me to make history and he's using me to be a mouthpiece for God. And can I just tell you right now, it's not just for preachers. It's for every single one of you. You know, the Bible says that a pastor's job is to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. 
So like here in this moment, what is happening is I am doing my very best to give you the tools and the information and hopefully through the word of God, the transformation that you need so that you can be used by God to change the world. And when we say change the world, I just want to clarify something right now. That may make you think, okay, well, how can I change the world? Well, I would just like to remind you that my world was changed because somebody pulled over on the side of the road and invited me to church. So, so if you can't change the world, just do for one what you wish you could do for all. Start with where you are and then watch God fill in the gaps, okay? So you may not change the world as the entire population of the world, and that's okay, but you can change the world where you are. Your sphere of influence, God has placed you in that, in that job, in that family, in that school. I'm talking to the teenagers now. You're not going to school to get an education. Let me tell you something. High school diploma is about the most worthless thing on this planet. Y'all know it's true. Don't get me mad at me. You know what's more worthless than a high school diploma? A college degree. Unless it's very specialized, okay? And can I just tell you, a pastoral ministry's degree is not, okay? You might think it is, but it's not. We were talking to Megan the other night about occupational therapy. That's a specialized degree. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about all of us history majors and English majors and liberal arts majors. I love you, but you know it's true. <laughs> but stay in school, amen? <laughs> Christian's like, Mom, do you hear that? Do you hear that? you hear that? No, you're not in that school to get an education. That's a fringe benefit. You're in that school to change the world of that school. You're in that school to make history in that school. You're in that school so that you can be used as a mouthpiece for God in that school. You're in that job, not to earn the paycheck, not even to accomplish the job that you're there for. That's, that's, that, that happens, and those are benefits. Those are like side benefits, but that's not the reason why you're there. You're there because God has divinely appointed you before the world was even formed, the Bible tells us, that you were appointed before the foundations of the world, that God wrote a book about you. Read it in Psalm 139, I believe, Psalms somewhere. That before you were born, your days were numbered in his book. They had a plan for you. So wherever you are, whatever you're doing, what you think is the reason is not. The real reason is God has placed you there to be a world changer. The real reason is God has placed you there to change the history of somebody else's life through your life. The real reason you're there is to be an oracle for God in a world that is unfamiliar with his voice. I want to tell you, as I get ready to shut this thing down, your words are containers of power. Your words are containers of power that either carry faith-filled hope or faith-destroying fear. And when you speak death, when you speak discouragement, when you speak despair, that is what you create. And I would even submit to you, you don't even have to be a Christian for that to be true. Because you were created in the image and likeness of God, even if you don't follow God, even if you don't follow Jesus. And how did God create everything that he created? He spoke it into existence. And because we were created in the image and likeness of God, we carry with us certain characteristics and traits that, are, that belong to God. You see, my dog can bark in the backyard, but she's not creating anything because she's not created in the image and likeness of God, other than an annoyance and a, ruck, a racket. But that's how most of us sound sometimes when we talk. We spew out nothing better than annoyances and racket. 
We're just making noise. We're propagating death because we're getting on Facebook and complaining about somebody. You need to shut that mess up. You need to delete your social media account if you can't speak life, love, and hope. You need to throw your phone away if your text messages are full of hatred, full of anger, full of bitterness. Get rid of it. Get it, get it out of your life. Your conversations need to be seasoned by salt, like spiritual salt, like Jesus said, that we are the salt of the earth, we are the light of the world. That means if, if heaven's living in me, which it is, even if you don't know it, heaven's living in me, heaven needs to start living through me. It needs to start living through my words. It needs to start living through my thoughts. It needs to start living through my conversations with people that I love, even people that I don't know. It needs to start living through everything that I am. Whether you're in school, whether you're at a job, whether you're at home, wherever you are. And I'm not saying that we deny, that we live in like this, some sort of denial of the fact that life can be hard. I'm just saying that we live in the greater reality that we have not been called to succumb to the problems of this world, but we've been called to further the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. But we can't do that if we allow the father of lies, Satan himself, to be the one speaking through us. And that is exactly what happens whenever we use the greatest tool that we've got to advance the kingdom of God, that we use it instead of promoting love, faith, hope, joy, right? We promote death, despair, discouragement, complaining, backbiting, gossip. That's how we build the kingdom of Satan right there. And there's many people who are going to die and go to heaven one day, but on this earth, the only thing they've promoted was a kingdom that will be destroyed in the lake of fire. I told you eventually I'd make you mad. Hurt your feelings, whatever. I would even say, too, that a lot of us talk to ourselves that way. We look in the mirror, we call ourselves fat, short. I mean, I'm just talking for myself right now. Not smart enough, not good enough. Not a good enough person, not a good Christian would say things like that. Can I just tell you, there's no such thing as being a good enough Christian, Okay. Just accept the fact that you've been saved by faith through Jesus Christ. You can't earn it. You can't unearn it. You've been saved by faith through grace. Or rather, you've been saved by grace through faith. That's what Ephesians 2 says. And you may mess up. In fact, you will mess up. You will. You will say something. You will do something. And you're going to think, man. But just because you fail doesn't mean you have to stay there. Doesn't mean you've got to build a house there and live there. Because the grace of God that was strong enough to save you from a life of sin is strong enough to save you from a moment of sin. And you don't have to live in regret. Remember, I'm not going to be controlled by the history that I can't change. I'm going to be controlled by the one who's called me to be a history changer, a world changer. The one who's called me to be an oracle for God himself. The devil wants you to speak bad about yourself. He wants you to speak bad about that person. He wants you to speak negatively about the situation of our world. But can I tell you, when you say things like, oh, I'm just calling it like it is, I'm just saying it how it is, that's the devil's love language. Because if God had went to Gideon and he said, hey, you coward hiding in a wine press with no money, no influence, no talent, no nothing. Because that was the reality of the moment, Right? But God didn't do that. He said, hey, Gideon, you mighty warrior, go in the strength that you have and save Israel from the hands of Midian. Because God never 
calls it like it is. God calls it like he's making it to be. And we are most like our father, our heavenly father, when we call it not as we see it, but as he wills it. Worship team, will you help me? You guys okay? I think I went past 45 minutes. I'm sorry. Thank you. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we are God's masterpiece, that he created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Again, I want to remind you that you were created to make a difference in this world. Let me read that verse again. You are God's masterpiece. That's the New Living Translation. The other translations will say you were God's handiwork, which is to imply that, you know, God didn't speak you into existence. He actually put his hands on you. He formed you. He molded you. And then he breathed the breath of life into you. You were God's, you were God's workmanship. You were his masterpiece. You were his handiwork, the work of his hands. You were the product of his labor. And he created you, not so that one day when you start living right and you get everything figured out in your life, because ultimately, can I just tell you, until you see him face to face and you see him for who he is and he sees you for who you are, you're not going to get it all right. You're not going to get it all figured out. You're not going to be this perfect person who doesn't have any issues anymore. No, until we see him face to face, you're going to have issues. You're going to mess up. You're going to say and do things. But that does not change the fact that we have been made in the image of God, that we are his masterpiece, and that we are created for good things that he planned for us long ago. You are a son or a daughter of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 1 John 3, 1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. I want to tell you today that God has destined you before the foundations of the world were laid to rule and to reign on His behalf, furthering the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. You are not a small person. You are not a nobody. You are not a nothing. You are a world changer. You are a history maker. You are an oracle or a mouthpiece for God Almighty. You have been divinely appointed for this time, at this point in in the history of our world, to be somebody who makes an impact today, not tomorrow, not in five years when you finally get out of debt, or not when you finally break this addiction that you've been struggling with, not when you finally get over this depression that you You've been going through. No, today, right now, in the middle of your mess, in the middle of your pain, in the middle of your moment, in the middle of your hardship, right now, by faith, not by what you can see, but by who you know, you have been called and designed by God not to respond to the atmosphere, but to create the atmosphere. You've been called and divinely appointed by God not to reflect the world around you, but to be an instrument of change in the world that you inhabit, furthering, again, I'm going to say it, the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 19, he said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. I'm going to tell you right now, you've been given a new identity. Walk in it, live in it, tell yourself. When those negative thoughts come into your mind about yourself, you say, that's not who I am. That might be who I was. I'm not some poor old sinner saved by grace. No, I'm a son. I'm a daughter. I'm a child. I am chosen. I am redeemed. I am loved. I'm a priest. I'm a prophet. I'm a man or a woman of God. I am holy. I am set apart. I am divinely made. Before the foundations of the world begin, you are not the limitations of your talent. You are not the limitation of your skill set or your intellect. You are not what you can't do. You are who he says you are. 
You've been given a new identity. Heaven is your home. And Jesus says right there, the keys of the kingdom are in your hand. So today, what are you going to do with them? What will you do with the keys that have been given to you? The identity, the authority in Christ that's been given to you. Will you accept average and ordinary as the status quo for living? Will you accept get by living as just how it is? And that's, that's how most of us live, to be truthful with you. We live paycheck to paycheck. We live moment to moment. We live week to week, just hoping to make it through. But that is not how victorious living looks. You don't have to live that way. You can live with the authority, the destiny that God has called you to have. And so today, Lifehouse, I'm, not, I'm tired of talking about pre-vival. I'm ready to talk about revival. It's time to stop, stop talking about what God's going to do. And it's time to start talking about what God is doing. It's time to start, stop thinking about one day when we get to this point as a church or one day when we get to this point as a family. No, it's time to start talking about today, where we are, what's God doing right now. Will you accept your role as a world changer? Like legitimately, will you accept it? And that voice that's in your head right now saying, oh, that's not for you. You're just, you're just this person. You, you don't have a good enough income. You don't have a good enough job. You don't have enough influence. You don't, you don't have no, not enough people liked your post last time you posted something on Facebook. Oh, you know what I'm talking about. You're just, you're just, you, he's talking to these other people. He's not talking to you. No, I'm talking to you, friend. Will you accept your role as a world changer to dictate the atmosphere around you by the word of God that's hidden in your heart and by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in you and through you? Will you accept your role as a history changer where you make decisions not based on who you were or where you came from, but, because, but by who you know is calling you forward? Will you allow yourself to be an oracle or to be a mouthpiece for God by being familiar and sensitive to his voice, by being familiar with his word, knowing when it's him, him talking, knowing that he leads you by, by peace and with truth to speak words of faith-filled hope in a world filled with faith-destroying fear. It starts with your thought life. And the only way you can change your thought life is by filling it with something different than what you've been filling it with. And as your thought life begins to change and it's transformed, you know, Romans tells us that we're transformed by the renewing of our mind and the way our mind is renewed is by the word of Christ, by the word of God. And as our thought life begins to transform, not because we listen to positive self-talk, but because we listen to the word of God, because we're sensitive to his voice, it transforms our thought life, it transforms our minds, it transforms the way we think, and then eventually it transforms what we say. And your words have creative power. Your words dictate the reality around you far more than the, the reality itself is dictated to you. So will you accept your role as a world changer? Will you accept your role as a history maker? Will you accept your role as being a mouthpiece for God because God wants to use you to speak to the world around you. He wants you to use you to spread the hope, the love, the joy that's found in Jesus. He wants to use you to be the salt of the earth and the light of this world so that people will see your good deeds and give glory to your Father in heaven. 
He wants you to change all the stuff that we could complain about right now, all the things that we could bring up, all the topics that we could, you know, that I could just say things. I could say things right now. I could just say certain words and I would get from most of you a positive reaction. Some of you, I'd get a negative reaction. I could just say those things. Just, just imagine all the things right now that are going on in our world and let's just imagine them all right now, all the things that I could say. And let's just remember that God doesn't look at that with disgust. He look at, looks at that with sympathy. He looks at that with, with love because he wants somebody we, we, we might ask, God, why aren't you doing something? And I'm telling you, he's looking at each one of us today and he's saying, why don't you do something? I've given you the keys. Jesus said before he ascended into heaven, all power has been given to me. Now go into the world and make disciples. Go to Jerusalem, go to Samaria, go to Judea, go to the ends of the world and preach this gospel of the kingdom. He took the keys out of his pocket with when he defeated hell, death, and the grave. In Matthew 16, 19, he said, I will give you the keys. Well, then he got the keys on the cross as he was buried and then for three days he was dead and then he resurrected. He was resurrected with the keys. Are you following me right now? And then as he ascended into heaven, he said, here you go. It's on you now. Just like he did to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 1 and 2. He said, go and reign over this world. Have dominion over this world. But then they gave that dominion to somebody else, the serpent in the garden, right? Jesus died on the cross to buy it back for us. That's, a, that's, that's the story right there. And then as he ascended, he said, here you go. Here's the keys. Here's the authority. Here's your opportunity to be a world changer, to be a history maker, to be a mouthpiece for God. Will you stand? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I don't want anybody looking around, no movement for just a few moments. First and foremost, if you are far from God today, if you have never committed your life to Jesus or maybe you have in the past but you have since walked away from it and you just know in your heart God I am not I am not where I need to be with you but Lord I want to be I don't want to be dictated by a history that I can't change but I want to be made new again today I, you may have been made new again 1500 times before this moment but today is a new day and the grace of God that was sufficient for you then is sufficient for you today so if you would say Pastor Drew would you pray for me I want to recommit or I want to commit my life to Christ will you lift your hand high in the air so I can pray for you right where you are I see you buddy I see you ma'am is there anybody else I see you buddy I see you friend there's four people or any more is there anybody else I see you, sweet girl. Six people. All right, let's pray this together all across the room. Now listen, these words, there's nothing special about these words. What's special is the intent of the heart behind these words. So let's repeat this together. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for loving me. Please forgive me of my sin. Make me new again. I give my life to you. Every day, every part of it, I belong to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, can we celebrate these six men and women? Now, as we get ready to dismiss, as we're bringing this to a close, if you would say, Pastor Drew, I want to be a world changer. I've lived under the lie for too long that I wasn't good enough that I wasn't strong enough, that I wasn't special enough or holy enough or whatever, whatever the enough is. But I want to be a world changer. I want to be a history maker. I want to be a mouthpiece for God. Can I tell you, there's no special, there's no hoops to jump through. 
What God is looking for is your obedience and availability. It's as simple and as complicated as that. God, I want to be obedient to you and I want to be sensitive to you so that I can be an instrument for change in this world. God, so that I can be the one who makes history, not who just merely responds to it. And so, God, that I can be familiar with your voice so when you speak, I can speak what you have to say. And if that's you, would you lift your hand high in the air? Come on, lift it high, lift it high, lift it high. Father, I thank you for every single individual right now that's lifting their hand. Come on, take your other hand and lift it up. Let's just take some time and let's worship him this morning. Let's take some time, let's worship him. We're not here to respond to the atmosphere. We're here to dictate the atmosphere. We're not here to be changed by what we can't change. We're here to be the ones that create change. Not because of who we are, but because of who we're connected to. Come on, let's worship.